Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Glad you're joining us. Uh, This time, Ryan and I sat down and we talked about a book by a man named John Ortberg. It's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And we talked about a chapter called Focusing on Jesus, which really the implications were, how are we going to cultivate hope in our lives? And so we ended up talking about that, um, some practical and visionary steps on how to get there. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Alrighty, folks. What's up? Welcome to this episode of the podcast, The Green of Salt. I'm Mikey. Introduce yourself, please. Uh, I'm Ryan. Ryan Hamby. Today, we're going over another chapter from a book. We don't really know where this podcast is headed. Don't know what we're going to call it yet. Whatever the title is on Spotify, I guess, is what we went with. Uh, It's a book by John Ortberg. Um, it's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. <laughs> a little cheesy. Yeah, super cheesy. But it's good. And uh, he, John Orberg wrote uh, the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, which was one of the first, if not the first book we went over. Uh, we went over The Unhurried Life back in the day, a long time ago. And uh, it was good. And so we're doing this one. It's chapter eight of this book. Uh, It's called Focusing on Jesus. Maybe that's what we'll call the episode. Um, But in this book, he just kind of breaks down Peter's experience of walking on the water with Jesus, as well as like the disciples' decision to not walk on the water uh, in this chapter, which is, oh, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the book. It's about focusing on Jesus, but it's about hope. Any words before we get started? Anything new with you? You're bald. So, well, don't bring that up here. They can't see it. It's good. They'll see it one day. I think I'm at my best invisible behind a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, people can't see your bald head. <laughs> yeah. I got a cat. Dude, I'm so happy for you. Little you're, kitten. God is humbling you so much. Yeah, he really is. You needed the cat for your sanctification because you were so anti-cat, but you were so wrong. So set in my ways. Yeah. His name's Iron Will. He's a nice young man. Named after Will Stoneman. Look him up. Disney character. I'm going to uh, be honest. I I don't dislike the name. I think it's funny. And I understand like there's like some character behind it. You're trying to speak some identity into your cat's like character. Mm-hmm. But that movie is so bad. Dude. Iron Will. I remember watching it when I was like in fifth grade thinking this is the cheesiest kids movie I've ever seen. Maybe I just like it because I had a good experience watching it. It was a cold day. My friend Jake Walton came over. We had soup. Me, him, and Jenny sat on our carpet, and uh, we watched Iron Will together. But I would just make the argument that if you're going to watch a movie about dog racing, like sled, dog sled, mm-hmm. whatever, Iditarod stuff, you're much better going with like Snow Dogs with Cuba Gooding Jr. So you think I should have named my cat Snow Dogs with Cuba Gooding Jr.? Or just name it Cuba Gooding Jr. And no just call way. him Cuba. Iron Will. Lil Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, yeah. <laughs> Willie. That's good. Well, but no, I've never read this book. I'm really excited to dive in, Mike. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book. John Orberg's no theologian, so don't don't complain to me about anything that sounds weird. <laughs> He's just a good storyteller. He's kind of like Bob Goff, I think. Tells good stories, encourages you, makes you think. So that's where we're going. Uh, the verse that this chapter is based off of is Matthew 14, 31, which says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. 
saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Uh, so a few pages in, Orpik says, at any rate, for however long it lasted, Peter walked on the water. Then we're told three things happened. The focus of his attention shifted from Jesus to the storm. He saw the wind. The shift in his attention gave rise to a new set of thoughts and feelings that focused on panic and inadequacy, says he became frightened. And this in turn disrupted his ability to continue walking in Jesus' power. He began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. When Jesus rescued him, he asked Peter why he doubted. He says, I don't think this was simply an exercise in blaming. I think that like any good teacher, Jesus really did want Peter to learn from this experience so he could grow. He goes on to say, Matthew seems to want us to understand something clearly. While Peter's mind was focused on Jesus, he was empowered to walk on the water. But when his focus was on the storm, his fear short-circuited his ability to receive God's sustaining power. Hope got Peter out of the boat. Trust held him up. Fear sank him. Everything hinged on whether he was focused on the Savior or on the storm. So what we see here is that hope is the fuel for some of the greatest things that God wants to do in us and through us. Uh-huh. And so if that's true, uh, I skipped a page. If that's true, that hope is the fuel for the things God wants to do in and through us. Orpig says later, we can survive the loss of an extraordinary number of things, but no one can outlive hope. When it's gone, we are done. Therefore, the capacity to stay focused on the presence and power of God in our lives becomes supremely important. So, what we're teeing you up with is that hope is crucial. It's going to be very important, especially for this new year. Not that there's anything actually special about a new year, but it is time to reflect. And people, I would say people are optimistic about this year. We'll get into the difference between hope and optimism. Um... I'd say people are optimistic about this year, but I don't really know why, (laughs) you know, it's like, not like the change of the calendar actually changes anything, but it is time to reflect in what our hope is in and to kind of re-anchor ourselves in that. Anything before we move on? Nope. You're doing a great job. Thanks brother. So, uh, one of the things that Orberg progresses, uh, to say is, is this thing called learned helplessness which I think is something that we see in our culture today. Uh, It's going to be a little bit of a story here, but I think it applies to us. He says, let's look at this matter of heart for a moment in contemporary terms. What is the common common denominator for the 10 fearful spies and the Israelite soldiers who were paralyzed by Goliath? So he went on to say, uh, you know, when Joshua was exploring the promised land, he went out, sent these spies, but only a few of them came back hopeful. Uh, How can all the Israelites stand before Goliath, tremble with fear, but David somehow sees the situation and sees hope in it. He says, one of the most influential psychology experiments of the 20th century involved precisely this issue. Martin... Siegelman was a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania in the 1960s when he stumbled onto an interesting phenomenon called learned helplessness. It happened when some dogs were given slight electric shocks over which they had no control. No matter what the dogs did, they could not stop the shocks. The shocks simply stopped at random. Later, the dogs were placed in a situation where they could easily stop the shocks. They were put in a box that had a low barrier in the middle of it. All they had to do was step over the barrier to the other side and the shocks would stop. 
ordinarily dogs learn to do this very quickly. When they're shocked, they start jumping around and discover that crossing the barrier brings relief. However, these previously shocked dogs had apparently learned something different. They learned that they were powerless to stop the shocks. They came to believe that no matter how hard they tried, nothing they did would make a difference, so they stopped trying. They lay down and refused to move, even though a few steps would have made all the difference in the world. Siegelman describes the phenomenon this way, learned helplessness is the giving up reaction, the quitting response that follows from the belief that whatever you do doesn't matter. Dang. But he says, hope makes an extraordinary difference. Can- say extraordinary again. <laughs> Actually, he says, yeah, yeah, he says extraordinary. Hope makes an extraordinary difference. <laughs> <laughs> He says, academic performance of freshmen at the University of Pennsylvania were predicted more accurately by tests that measured their level of optimism than by their SAT scores or their high school grades. Daniel Goleman writes, from the perspective of emotional intelligence, having hope means that one will not give in to overwhelming anxiety, a defeatist attitude, or depression in the face of difficult challenges or setbacks. Indeed, people who are hopeful evidence less depression than others as they maneuver through life in pursuit of their goals, are less anxious in general, and have fewer emotional distresses. The conviction that our effort makes a difference and that we are not victims of our circumstance is what keeps us persisting in the face of setbacks. It saves us from apathy, hopelessness, and despair. Almost done. He says, hope does not just motivate positive action. It actually has healing power. In one study... This is crazy. 122 men who had suffered their first heart attack were valued on their degree of hopefulness and pessimism. Of the 25 most pessimistic men, 21 had died eight years later. Of the 25 most optimistic, only six had died. Loss of hope increased the odds of death more than 300%. It predicted death more accurately than any medical risk factor, including blood pressure, amount of damage to the heart, or cholesterol level. And he says, better to eat Twinkies and hope than to eat broccoli in despair. He says, he finishes, to the extent that we lack vital optimism, we cease to be fully alive. Huh. Learned helplessness. Any thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, my first thought is, give me a nice, clean, working definition of that based on your reading. uh, Well, I'm just going to take this one. I think it's the cleanest and most simple. He says... It's the giving up reaction or the quitting response that follows from the belief that whatever you do doesn't matter. Huh. Wow. (laughs) That's super interesting. What you do doesn't matter because I think a lot of people, even when they talk about theology, you know, have you ever heard a pessimistic person talk about the sovereignty of God? No. Yes, you have. Who? It was a trick question. Well, so many people. And I think... You know, okay, so, oh, well, if God is in control, why does it matter what oh, I do? Oh, sure, That's sure. what I mean. Like, okay. I think even you hear pessimism, like, I think good theology is not, like, even separate from pessimism. I think we need to read our Bibles with this hope, right? Like, we need to put on, like, these glasses, if you will, before we even approach the best parts of life. Because mm-hmm. we, what I'm trying to say is we, in our flesh— our pessimism, if you will, our hopelessness, our sin, we can take even the best parts of life and sour them pretty quickly. Mm. I know I can. Totally. I'm trying to think of like an example of 
learned helplessness, you know, what does this look like? Not in dogs, but in humans. Because with dogs, it's really fascinating. Like, it's, you can see the picture. It's clear. If they step over this little box, they stop getting shocked. But those who were trained to think, oh, nothing's going to, nothing's going to make this better. They just, they live the rest of their lives in fear of being shocked. And so if you're consuming a narrative, if you will, that the world is going crazy, there's nothing good in the world, I'm never going to get healthy, I'm never going to whatever, you can, you can see that in your life, like that affects your life greatly. Relationships. Everybody's been stung by relationships. Mm-hmm. Friendships, dating. Think about think about like a guy who's asked out like 20 girls and has been rejected all 20 times. Mm-hmm. What is your advice to that guy? <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> Keep trying. Yeah. Now imagine you are that guy. Yeah. Maybe you were that guy. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. But, don't go there. But you know, like it, that's what I thought of at least. Yeah. It's like, man, what, how do you like come alongside somebody who's just faced the sting of life, mm-hmm. you know, like the heart attack uh, study. Mm. You don't, you don't deny the hardship of life is what right. I'm really getting at. Right. Right. Like does hope actually doesn't have anything to do with the hard parts of your life. Mm-hmm. It just kind of brings you to a fork in the road of, are you going to proceed after this trial with hope or without hope? Totally. So one thing I want to break down that he goes on to later is the difference between optimism and hope. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to hear about that. So he says, optimism requires what Christopher Lash calls a belief in progress, that things will in fact get better for me. But hope includes all the psychological advantages of optimism, but it's rooted in something deeper. When I hope, I believe that God is at work to redeem all things, regardless of how things happen to be turning out for me today. Hope does not prevent me from expecting the worst. The worst is what the hopeful are prepared for. Ooh, interesting. The Christ follower is to be marked by what we might call vital hope. So optimism can be a fruit of hope. Totally. It's it's okay. part of hope. It's part of hope. But you can... Hope is more, though. Can you be, uh, like, first and foremost, a hopeful person and be pessimistic about something? Is that what it's saying? Mm, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't would know. say no. It's like a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. Ooh, that... Wow. I bet in all the episodes you've ever done, you've never said anything that <laughs> profound. Thank you. Came up with that off the top of my head. So then the question becomes, if, if we're not just after optimism, we're not just after a hope, or I should stop using that word. If we're not just after the desire that things will get better for us, but we're actually after life-giving <laughs> hope, for lack of better sure. terms, yeah, rooted yeah. in a belief that God is working out good things in my life. Yeah. How do we cultivate hope? Are you asking me? Uh, no, I'm, I'm oh, thinking. Oh, okay. You already know. Here's what he says. Yeah, I know. I'm going to okay, tell you. Sweet. I'm going to tell everybody. He says, we tend to be very serious about what we put into the things that matter to us. People are very careful about what they feed their cars, their bodies, their children, even their pets. Okay? Their cats. Their cats. Meow mix is what I feed Iron Will. Bougie. <laughs> he says, that's why it's so ironic that in the most important area of life, we often disregard one basic human resource with a nonchalance that's nothing less than astounding, the mind. 
what we feed everything else, what we feed everything else we possess is nothing compared with the importance of what we feed our minds. The Apostle Paul wrote, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, think, think about, about these, these things. things. Nice. Or in other words, he says, feed your minds. Our ability to live in hope remains, our ability to live in hope, to remain focused on Christ during the storm is largely dependent on what we feed our minds. This is how we're able to stay focused on the Savior mm. rather than on the storm. Oh yeah, back to the book. Nice. Yep. Walking on water. Walking on the water. Cool. So he's saying, as we've obviously just said, it takes intentionality in the mind, the most important thing we can feed because you wouldn't put, you wouldn't put water in your gas tank of your car because it would get destroyed. Not yet. Not yet. Are you planning on doing that? Well, (laughs) (laughs) oh, you're saying because it's future, we might be able to. I was going to say, what? (laughs) Or like your body. If you only eat Twinkies. Yeah. And then you start to look a way that you don't like, you're not going to be surprised because you know exactly how you got there. You are what you eat. You can start looking like a Twinkie. Even your pets. If I fed my dog moose, if I only fed him, what? I don't know something terrible and he got really sick and obese, I wouldn't be surprised. He's already obese. Yeah, he's kind of a chunk. But I wouldn't be surprised because I'm like, oh, I know how I got there. Yet, we're surprised sometimes when our minds are messing with us. We we don't see hope and it's because we're not feeding our minds. And he goes on to say, there are two laws that govern your life. I really like this. This is kind of the main point of what I wanted to talk about in this. And he says, the first one is what might be called the law of cognition. You are what you think. Psychologist Archibald Hart writes, research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. Mm. Whether we filled with confidence or fear depends on what kind of thoughts habitually occupy our minds. Um, And he says, he kind of brings up some scripture to back this up. He says, I believe this is one of the causes... uh, where we are simply coming to confirm what the writers of scripture knew clearly all along. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Dude, I Is that just, pulled up? I pulled that up. Oh my gosh. Give me one sec. I got one more thing. He said, Jesus once said that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and bad tree cannot produce good fruit. He was making this observation in terms of the connection between our inward condition and our outward behavior. Over the long haul, good thinking meaning accurate perceptions, healthy emotions, wholesome desires, honorable intentions cannot produce bad results. Bad thinking cannot produce good results. Wow. The law of cognition. Is you it, are what you think. Is, Obviously, yeah. it's kind of a blanket statement. It's kind of clickbaity. Yeah. Because there are a lot of factors at play in the way your life turns out. But right. generally speaking, the way you think influences... Yes, I like that. Your life. The way you think matters. Let's just say that. Yes. Because, I mean, you know, the whole like Tozer thing of was knowledge of the Holy. I get yep. all the titles yep. sound like, but it's the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. Mm-hmm. And I think Lewis's pushback, talked about this at Connection Group this week. I, when I think it's actually a really good pushback is the most, that's not the most important thing about a person, but actually what God thinks about you is more important. Like what God mm. thinks about a person is the most important part of a sure. person. And so I think to say that you are what you think is a dangerous thing because no, like God is actually in control. Like he's the one who dictates uh, things, Mm -hmm. but what you think does matter according to Romans 12, what you read for us. Yeah. 
which that was going to be like my moment. I was going to read Romans 12. I was going to be like, can you read it and pretend like I hadn't already said it? Yeah. Okay. But there, okay. So this is what Romans 12 says. One and two. Tell me. I think a lot of people have heard this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Nice. It's super interesting because, you know, he starts out by saying, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, which if you read up to Romans 12, it's just beautiful. Like it just, Mm -hmm. oh, how deep the mercies of God are. And we are simply Christians. We're simply alive because of the mercies of God. So in light of all that, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like you're holy, like this is your worship. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I think what that looks like, therefore, is don't be conformed to this age, but your mind actually needs to be transformed. That's really a really interesting kind of um, application of the gospel or like a fruit of the gospel where you start to see sanctification. You start to see your mind literally thinking a different way, Mm -hmm. a more God-worshiping way. And you're actually going to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We're going to talk about how we do that and how we apply this law of cognition here in a second after I go over the second one. The second law might be called the law of exposure. Your mind will think most about what it is most exposed to. What repeatedly enters your mind, occupies your mind, eventually shapes your mind, and will ultimately express itself in what you do and who you become. The law of exposure as is is as inviolable as the law of gravity. No one is surprised by the law of gravity. No one says, hey, I dropped this priceless antique crystal vase on the cement and it broke. What are the odds of that? But amazingly enough, people react to the law of exposure in total shock. People are surprised that what their minds are constantly exposed to, attend to, and dwell on eventually comes out in how they feel and what they do. We're flooded with sexual images on television screens, computer terminals. This is an old book, by the way. Computer terminals, magazine covers, and multiplex movie marquees. Or you could say by our phones nowadays, social media. He says sexually explicit sexually explicit images and emails are sent not just to teenagers, but to children who have virtually no chance to protect Gosh, themselves. Thank goodness I've never got one of those emails. Was <laughs> <laughs> just like dial up or something like Oh, no, I got another bad email. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who's emailing him that stuff? Let me see when this was written. <laughs> I'm sorry to derail you, but... No, it's okay. I want to say... 2001. 20 years ago. That's a long time. Some of our students weren't even born yet. Jeez. Jeez. All right. Uh, he says... <laughs> Sexually explicit emails and images are sent not just to teenagers, but to children who have virtually no chance to protect themselves Mm. from what they do not even know what they're getting into. And then we profess to be shocked when promiscuity and sexual addiction levels go up and marital fidelity and stability goes down. It's amazing to me how often people think or live as if they could get away with violating the law of exposure. People will say, I can read this material, watch these images, or listen to these twisted words, but it doesn't really affect me. I'm not really paying attention. It goes in one ear, out the other. Social scientists are coming to realize what writers of scriptures knew all along. Oh no, it doesn't. 
If enough teenage girls look at enough magazine covers featuring enough models who are paid outrageous sums of money to make themselves unnaturally thin and then interviewed and quoted as experts on what makes life worth living, then we will raise <laughs> a generation of young women whose minds are constantly filled with such thoughts. You're not thin enough. You're not pretty enough. Not desirable enough to men. Their feelings of self-esteem will plummet. Hope will die. And the behavioral consequences will skyrocket. And it shouldn't surprise anyone. And I want to end with this quote. Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So the first one, the law of cognition. We are what we think. It influences the way we act and the people we become. And then the law of exposure, the things that we're most, uh, that we see the most, that we think about the most, that we dwell on, eventually will come out of us or will change the way we think. Right. So my question is, in light of those two laws and this new year, uh, we want to be hopeful people, the world's going crazy, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, like, how do we cultivate hope in our lives? Oh, man. Sorry, I should ask that. No, that's a, it's the million dollar question. It's, I mean... Isn't it so cool that we still have Bibles? Like that's what I was gonna say. I just I don't know. The Bible is so unique because I think there is a ton of wisdom in telling people to read good books, um, stop listening to bad music or watching bad movies, and uh, don't hang out with your bad friends as much who try and get you to say bad words. All that has a great wisdom to it, but. I'd rather just start by saying I'm shocked by my lack of uh, zeal for the Bible still because it really is that good of a gift. Like God is telling us in the Bible, and I mean, Romans 12, it's like, hey, have your mind transformed. And then we think about how how is that supposed to, and then we realize, oh, God has actually provided the answer. Mm-hmm. I am with the Lord right now in his word, and he is changing and renewing my mind this very moment. I mean, what a great gift. Yeah, I, I think I have three things, and that was the first one that I wanted to say was read your Bible. I feel like that's what I say every single episode, and I should. And I mean, you just have that's to pretty read good. your Bible. I mean, we were just talking to Mark and Jim Walker, and Jim said, what, every day? He's like, how do I stay sane? He said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every single morning since, what do you say, 1978, he's like, I wake up and I read God's word. And he's like, it keeps yeah. me grounded. And the reason he does that is these two laws of cognition and exposure. Like, he's filling his mind with the words of God. And he, what do you say? He's like, it convicts me. It tells me I'm wrong. It tells me what to do. tells me what to believe. And then you meditate on it. And it starts to fill your mind and you start to become and yeah, and do the things that a person of peace, of love, gentleness, compassion, you start to become that person. I think God's doing that in me. Uh, I don't know, over the past few years, I think what he still wants to, where he wants to take me long term is to be a gentle person, a person of mm, compassion. Yeah, Totally. And the way he's doing that most vividly in my life right now is 
I'm just reading about Jesus and seeing that that's how he reacts. That's actually like what wisdom is too. I see that in the Proverbs. Mm. Patience, yeah, uh, not quick-tempered, you shut your mouth. Those are actually, that's a way to like wisdom and life and the sure. things that I want. I wouldn't get, what I'm saying is, I wouldn't get to that conclusion. I wouldn't be the person I am if I weren't reading my Bible every single day. Hmm. You have to do, especially nowadays, you have to be, if you're going to fill your mind with something, fill it with the word of God. Hmm. Like, we're not talking about a fake story or a new news site. We're talking about the ancient, old, true words from God, not just ink on pages, but like his words breathed out. Hmm. That gives us everything we need to live holy lives, to achieve salvation, to know who God is. Do you know what's wild? When God gives us his word, he's giving us himself. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just like, like if anybody, if somebody can get anything from this podcast today, anything at all, I would hope uh, that it would just be a renewed appetite. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's like, man, why does my appetite fluctuate so much? I. Uh, and it's kind of this weird thing where it's like, if I'm not in the word, I don't really care to be in the word. But when I am in the word, oh my goodness, dude, I, I love it. And I want more of it, but really it, like, I even want to be careful using that word it. I want more him mm-hmm. because when we receive God's word, we are receiving him. This isn't a homework assignment. It's interesting. There's like two illustrations that I'm thinking about that both play into reading the Bible, but are kind of totally opposite of each other. Like, uh, one, when you said that, it makes me think of being in the gym because when I'm yep. not in the gym, I don't really care to go work out. Totally. But if I can just get in the door, <laughs> start warming up, yeah. talking with some people, then I'm excited to be there and I enjoy it and I actually kind of don't really want to leave. I want to stay a little extra, you know? So I need to be in there in order to get what I know I should be getting. The other thing is like eating a meal. I, I don't remember every meal that I ate. Heck, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. But I know that I needed it at that time. You know what I mean? Yes. Because and, and, you were hungry, right? Because I was hungry. And but if even I if you weren't totally hungry. I would still want it. Uh-huh. Because I needed it. And so I don't really know how to marry those two together. Well, dude, I tried to the other night at Connection Group. And it was like the, it was like the worst articulated thing i have said of why you should read memory. the bible yeah it was like it was about this food illustration and it's like you don't need to know all the nutritional value <laughs> you <laughs> it's trust me i'm actually more eloquent right now than i was then and this is a mess i'm like i'm kind of getting what you're like yeah. you don't like if you put a steak in front of a starving man mm-hmm. he's not going to ask how do nutrients work sure, before he it. dives in he just gets after it yeah he doesn't even grab a fork and knife. He uses his hands. He gets undignified, if you right. will, because he understands what that does for him, the effect. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with learning nutritional value and feeding yourself well. But And this is where my illustration started to break down. I didn't know what I was talking about. Do you want me to stop you before? Yes, please. Okay. So the next thing that I have, the first one is, all right, if we want to be hopeful people, how are we going to cultivate hope? Through the laws of cognition and exposure, read the your Bible. Bible. Fill your mind with the word of God. Second thing is prayer. Ugh. Come on. All 
Dude, we if always you talk live, about this every yes, time I'm here. If you want to live the Christian life, read your Bible and pray. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. It's so hard. Okay, yeah, I'll say that. It's hard, but it's simple. It's what people have done for thousands of years. It's it's not going to change. I'm telling you, you can do this for the rest of your life. You're still going to need this when you're on your deathbed. Read your Bible and pray. Spend some time in prayer talking to God. That's like the ultimate way. For sure, reading the Bible is shaping in your thoughts and all this stuff, but praying and speaking back actually maybe even solidifies it in your mind even more. It makes you think about it more. Prayer is hard work. It's a labor. It's not easy. And so going through that helps solidify it in your mind. You know, it's like when you're uh, when you're learning how to write or memorize something, you write it down a bunch because the more you write it, the more you remember it. Uh-huh. It's like if you're praying and you're saying things back to God, the more you're saying these things, the more you're telling God who he is, thanking him, being grateful, asking him for things, confessing your sin before him, the more that starts to shape your mind. Absolutely. What? Okay, give me the most helpful thing in, in the past year, mm-hmm. the most helpful thing that has aided your prayer life. Uh, probably two or three things. One. I asked for one, but okay, two or three I'll works. give you multiple. Okay. All right, the most important one for me has been finding a consistent place to nice. pray. Nice, that's cool. I was going to say that. For me, it's my spare bedroom, and I pull the pillow off the bed because the floor is hard, and I get on my knees, and I pray in the same exact spot every single morning. It just, I don't know, it's like, I don't know. It just gets my mind right. It's like, oh, this is the place that I pray. Uh, beyond that, one thing that's really helped help me in the past year is writing out the things that I want to ask for uh, before I actually start praying. So when I am praying, I'll spend some time thanking God, confessing, whatever. But then when it's time for me to start asking, when I feel like my heart's in the right place to start asking God, I have a list. Otherwise, I start asking and my mind goes crazy and then I just end up, sitting there for a while and start wasting time. So if I have something to guide me, that's really helpful. And then the best guide, this is the third thing, the best guide has been actually just praying through what I read that morning. Absolutely. So, you know, we always talk about, oh, praying through the Psalms. You can pray through whatever you read that morning. Like there's at least one prayer you can pray through any passage of the Bible, even if it's the most obscure passage ever, you know? And so- Yeah, read a Psalm a day. Yeah, read a psalm a day or if you're reading through a gospel or an epistle or whatever, just pray through what you read. Hmm. Whether you're just kind of saying it back to God, whether you're thanking him for what he said in it or uh, whether it's convicting you, you can pray. Use the Bible as a guide to pray. That's good. Thank you for that. Of course. The last thing, um, this doesn't have any, this isn't necessarily very spiritual, but it has spiritual implications in my life. The biggest thing for me in cultivating hope in my life has been getting off my phone. Ooh, I don't know how I didn't see this one coming, but here we are. Did that actually surprise you? Yeah. Wow. Well, I was just thinking about some other things, but this is good. Yeah. Give Um, us your testimony about how you got off your (laughs) iPhone, Mike. Yeah, I don't know if I've uh, done a podcast since I I got rid of my iPhone. I now have the Light Phone 2. Look it up. It's this little... Guy, I'm holding my hand a little. It's about the size of a credit card. Uh, not a smartphone. It's a basic phone. Um, 
And it's been the biggest blessing in my life recently. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. I know that sounds goofy, but like it has cultivated hope in my life because now I'm not thinking about all the stuff that my iPhone was getting me to think about the news, social media, even things like the weather. I don't, there's no weather on this phone. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. And I'm kind of delightfully surprised every day. I'm just thinking about different things. I'm thinking more deeply. I'm reading more books, uh, which are, why are you smiling at me like that? (laughs) Sorry. It's, (laughs) I'm trying to give my phone testimony. I was going to ask this at the beginning. Whenever you say the word book, you say it kind of weird book book. (laughs) When you know, like you've seen elf, the only Christmas movie you've ever seen literally. Yeah. When, uh, his dad is on the naughty list and he's like talking to that nun. The children love the books. You think I, th- I say it like that? Yeah, but like a you version of it. The children love the books. <laughs> That's what I think about every time you say books. But you've been reading a lot of these books because you don't have a phone anymore. Books, yeah. I've been reading a lot more books because I am not distracting myself to death on my phone. And so um, basically, actually I'll just go into kind of in a goofy way, my new year's resolution. I have this new alter ego that I'm going by. His name is Iggy Mike, Iggy Mike short for ignorant Mike. (laughs) Uh, on purpose. I, I, this year or past few weeks, whatever have been very ignorant of what's going on in the world. Uh, I don't really know. I don't know. Just in current events, I don't really know what's happening. And, you know, I learned about it from some people, whatever, but it has literally made me so much more at peace, just slowed down my life. And people could get upset at me and start to say, well, you have a responsibility to know what's going on. You should know. You should care. And I I do, I care about a lot of things. I care about my own personal health, my uh, taking care of the spiritual temperature of my house, including my wife. Um, I care about the people that I'm shepherding. I care about reading God's word. I care about a ton of stuff, you know? And, you know, if I don't care about what's happening on the news, I think that's okay. I'll get there eventually. I'll learn it. People tell me, and, and I'll shepherd people through that kind of stuff, but it's helping me think so clearly and I have arguably never been more hopeful in my life. Mm. I have arguably never had a better year in my life. I feel weird saying this. Everybody talks about how much 2020 sucked. Well, guess what? 2020 was the year that I started to separate myself a little bit. And don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not, I'm saying this just describing my experience. Yes, this I'm is your not, story of the past year. I am not putting this on anyone. I don't want anyone to feel like I'm saying, if you don't do this, you're wrong. I'm just saying, this, I found a lot, God has really brought hope in my life. I had the best year of my life in 2020. I've had I've had the best two weeks of my life the past two weeks. Every day is a new Whoa. best day. Well, that's crazy. Because, I don't know, God's growing me and he's like teaching me and I'm listening so the principle that is running through all of this, because yeah, you're saying back on track. No, no, you're on track. But I just like you're not prescribing this to everybody. No. Saying, this is gospel. You no. have to not at all. 
But the principle that I'm hearing you say through all of this is you felt an unnecessary pressure to be uh, omnipresent, mm-hmm. omniscient, mm-hmm. Uh, sovereign, if you will, which is words that we only attribute to God. And totally. so you as an image bearer were feeling in your own personal life, you were feeling an unnecessary burden to be mm-hmm. not just in the image of God, but to be God. And so, totally. and so tempering that has made your quality of life better, not in like a live my best life now. Cause I, you know, <laughs> when you say every day is a new best day. Yeah. Don't take life that is the hard. Way. You, like you are not immune from hard things no. because of this. No, but you are when, hopeful. Hopeful. There you go. Sure. You are hopeful despite life, not, uh, kind of strapped into the roller coaster that is life. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not at the, I'm not at the whim of anybody except for God in my own mind. Like nobody's okay. telling me, Hey, this happened. You need to think this way about it. No, I'll let, I'll let God kind of tell me, you know, what I should care about and all that stuff. I remember thinking one of the things that kind of helped, this has been a long journey by the way, too. It's not like, sure. Like God's been, for lack of a better term, slowing down my life and digging out my ears um, over the past year, for sure. One of I the love ways, that, digging out your ears. Yeah. That's sweet. One of the things that kind of brought me there was, I remember we were at Wednesday morning prayer, WIMP. Wednesday in the morning Wednesday prayer. Wednesday in yep. the morning prayer. And we were doing a prayer walk, and I remember walking out here outside the church, and it was like green, the grass was green, it was growing long, the sun was shining, and I yeah. was thinking... Man, King David back in the day was a shepherd. And uh, you know how much news that guy probably got? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you, do you know how aware he was of the current events happening in the world? He had literally none. He watched sheep and played his harp, sang to God, and was present and listened to God. You know what I mean? And his lyre. I don't, I still don't know what that is. Yes. I don't either. It's an instrument. Liar, L-Y-R-E. Yes. He played that thing. I thought you were talking about like a person who lies. Nope. Anyways. Well, I think that is a miracle because you hate prayer walks. I so hate So the fact that God walks. changed your life on a prayer walk is kind of like a Well, good... I wasn't praying. I was just walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get really distracted. It's impossible to pray and walk at the same time. No, you, it's... Yes, uh, you look at too much stuff, you get too distracted. No. No. Yes. You, you've crossed the line of now. Okay. Now you are telling me how to think. I'm not and, telling anybody to do that. I'm just saying that's what I think. Oh, gosh. Nobody needs my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling anybody what to do. But. Anyways, that's that's everything I wanted to hit. That's really good. Um, I feel like I've been a great listener today. Yeah, you have been. Thank you. And I would love to hear more of your thoughts if you have any. If not, we can wrap it up, but Well, I think so let's so your first, your three points there of how to cultivate a more hopeful life. Yes. You said Bible, mm-hmm. you said prayer, which I would you, prescribe those two. And right, and then you I'm, I'll make that distinction. Then you said I got rid of my iPhone. Yep. <laughs> uh <clears throat> yeah, that third one I think is not prescriptive where everybody needs to do it or else you're not calling news and information inherently evil, but you are saying that, including that with the others, as proof that the other two are so important. Because the reason you've enjoyed getting your yes. iPhone is because your Bible and prayer time has been better. Yes. 
awesome. Absolutely. I can't, yeah, I don't think we can reiterate that enough. And thank you for clarifying that. That's one of the reasons you're on here because you helped me clarify. Well, that's garbage because I'm <clears throat> I'm not the clear one. You are. Also, I got one of those reader's Bibles. Dude. I love it. It's incredible. Every year, you know, Mark and Jeff always say every year they get a new Bible, so I've tried to do that too. And this year I got uh, a CSB reader's Bible, so there's no like chapter numbers or verse numbers. And you're just able to read it like a story, like it is. Yep. Or like a letter written to a church, like it is, you know? Yeah, it actually is kind of just, there's nothing wrong with the numbers and headings and all that because it's actually really, really, I tried to bring it's my reader's Bible to a, like a Bible study last week <laughs> and it was a mess because they're like, well, look at verse 18. I'm like, oh, what word does that start? I, yeah. <laughs> what? So like, what do you mean verse 18? Yeah. You know, and it was, a, it was bad for that, but it is really good when you're just desperate for a uh, mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's actually it's really are. fun. Yeah, I, I am. And so here's a question maybe I can end with here for mm-hmm. you. I, God has been bringing me personally in my time with him to a place of, uh, of this. I want a greater appetite for the Lord. When I have an appetite for something, I don't need to be told much. I figure it out. Like the starving man with the steak in front of him. Yep. He knows how to eat. And so I don't want you to tell me how to read my Bible, but I want you to try and cultivate an appetite in me right now for this hope-filled, Bible-rich, kneeling man type of life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Make me hungry. I think, because um, <clears throat> Jesus is not in the business of behavior management, Cool. And so I'm not going to tell you, yeah, you need to manage your behavior by reading your Bible more. He's in the business of heart change and he, he cares so much more about who you are rather than what you do. For sure, what you do is tied to who you are, but the, the motive and the person you're becoming is mm-hmm. what Jesus really cares about. And if you were walking with Jesus and and you were like, I think if you asked him the question, hey, what type of person would I become if I was a man who read the Bible all the time? Yep. And he showed you that person, you'd be obsessed with becoming that person. You want to be that person. You want to be somebody who doesn't think about news cycles, but thinks about the word of God and, and isn't reacting, but is just kind of silent before the Lord. Um, Cool. Okay, so I know you don't like talking, you know, vision and uh, you know, uh, daydreaming, all that, whatever. That's my, that's what I like to uh-huh. do. Okay, seventy-year-old Mike, old Mike. He's better at seventy. Old man Mike, yep. what is what does your life look like? Mm. Because of these things, I th- I mean I think I kind of already have talked about it. Um, 70-year-old Mike is very gentle. Mm. And he's he's still tough and thick-skinned, but... He's, he's still... Because I'm already tough. <laughs> <laughs> he's more tender. Um, he listens to people very well. Mm. When he meets people's hardships, he doesn't meet them with a judgmental heart like I do now. He meets it with compassion, empathy, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
I think 70-year-old Mike is very slow to anger and slow to react because God is slow to anger. He's rich in faithful love and compassion. And so, you know, practically what's that going to look like? Well, who knows? I mean, maybe I'll have an iPhone again, whatever, but that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is, I don't know, just more Christ-like, hopefully, like, I don't know. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's poetry. <laughs> Thank you. Now you got me all. Yeah, what about you? Well, I got myself up in this daydream mess. Yeah. But I think it's also, there's something holy about it. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I think, what's the the quote? If you want people to uh, go to sea or like set sail, I don't know. You don't hand out ship building manuals, mm-hmm. but you teach them to long for the vast and endless sea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's that breaks down eventually, but I do resonate with the heart of that of, uh, yeah, I think when we think about who God wants to turn us into, it's a lot more compelling than here is what daily discipline has to be. And here's your homework for the rest of your life. Cause that just sounds like a terrible life. And so when I think about 70-year-old me, I don't know. I I like how you just went immediately to character because I kind of was like, well, I want to be living here, doing mm-hmm. this, or like have this kind of like heritage behind me of kids and grandkids and whatever. But to stick on with your example of character, I hope that, and I believe actually because of the power of God, mm-hmm. that 70-year-old Ryan would be a, a simply happy man. Like I want my happiness so tied to the finished work of Christ, the death and the resurrection of Christ, that I genuinely get excited about things that don't excite me now. Like I still have fears in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I could still paint for you a pretty a pretty like bleak life yeah. that I'm afraid of. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Like a lonely life scares me. Mm-hmm. But I hope that even if that stuff happens, 70-year-old me, like my, if my worst fear imaginable happens, the most boring, lonely life happens, that I will still be so happy in Christ and just more amped up about the new heavens and the new earth than ever. If I could restate mine in one sentence. Because mine is better or because you just like want to come back like, to yours? Kind of led me to this conclusion. I won't be angry. (laughs) That's the one thing I want is I don't want to be an angry man. Yeah. I think anger is what's angry. Angry old men suck. Was that a movie? No, that's grumpy old men. Sounds boring. Yeah. Angry old men suck. And if I could think about, if I could describe the culture, the direction of the culture, I I just think it's angry. Yeah. And you know, I think Jesus would tell me to not be angry. Hmm. Sweet. Good stuff. Anything else? No. I want to go meet your cat. Yeah, Iron Will. Winter Salt starts tomorrow for anybody who listens to this today. (laughs) 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 And then uh, we have another one next Thursday, and then our first salt starts on January 28th. Get ready for a journey through the Old Testament. That's where we're going. We are going to be surprised that Jesus is going to be there every step of the way. Boom! This sounds like a commercial. All right, folks, keep getting after it. We love you guys. Love you.
Alrighty, folks, there you have it. There's the episode. Good to be back with you. Looking forward to the next time. Don't know when it's going to be or what it's going to be about, but uh, until then, have a good day.